May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, I was at a meeting. We were talking about Youth Alpha, and there was a group of youth leaders. And um, for some reason, we started to talk about uh, what we do in church and uh, the strange thing that a lot of Anglicans do, which is what we've just done now, which is stand for the gospel. And one of the people, in fact, most of the people who were at the room were youth workers who worked for Anglican churches, but actually weren't Anglicans. And for them, this whole standing for the gospel thing was ridiculous. Um, And in fact, several of them went to churches which didn't stand for the gospel. Anglican churches. Not kosher Anglican, clearly, but still, they thought they were. And um, so we had this discussion about why we would do that. And I can remember this one young woman being really clear that uh, all of the Bible is equally important and... um, and so why would you stand for the gospel? And that was the end of that discussion. I wasn't put in my place. Uh, I was clearly wrong. Contrast that to a church that Bonnie and I went to in San Francisco uh, five years ago, I think it was. And uh, it's an Anglican church that is in the style of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so the gospel has a very high place in the liturgy of that place. So not only did we stand for the gospel, but then the gospel was processed around the church so that we could all touch or kiss it. Just the gospel, not the whole Bible. So quite contrasting ideas about the place of the gospel and why we stand for the gospel in the life of the church. So why do we stand for the gospel? Why do you stand for the gospel? So, I invite you to turn around and talk to your neighbour for a moment or two about why you stand for the gospel while in this church. Give you a minute or two to do that. All right. Why do people think we stand for the gospel? Why do you stand for the gospel? That's the question. Who'd like to get us going? Because it's Christ's work. We've done it for years. There's the honest answer. We've done it for years. It's what we do. There's Jan's because it's Christ's word. Any other ideas? Mark of respect? Ken? Well, I know it's still a principle. When a principal comes into the school today, or the class, everybody stands, even today. But then, here is the, uh, the Word of God, the uh, creator of the universe. Uh, that's His Word. He's standing there. You are Jesus Christ standing there. It's His Word. So why do people stand? As a mark of respect. Right. Mark of respect. The Word of the the words of the new covenant. I'm sure it's in Leviticus. I'm sure it's in Leviticus. In Leviticus? Well, in fact, they, uh, I mean, they would have stood for the whole thing. So in the story we heard from Nehemiah, 
um, the people pleaded, although what the priest, what Ezra was reading is uncertain, um, because most of their stuff had been oral up to the um, exile, and so things were only just starting to be written down. But, um, but yeah, they stood while the whole thing was read. Um, but we only stand for the gospel, and we sit for all the other things. So um, I'm just going to offer you a few thoughts, which are my thoughts, about why I stand for the gospel. And then at the end of that, we're going to read the gospel again instead of the creed, and we're going to stand. And I want you to think about what you're doing this for and why, and um, what difference that makes. I guess to start off... Oh, sorry. I just wanted to ask another question. Oh, you see, I'd much prefer if we stood for the Lord's Prayer, but that's a different thing. We might, <coughs> we might come to that. I mean, the reality is I always stand for the Lord's Prayer because I'm usually up there, but if I'm in the congregation, I still do stand. I don't get sitting for the Lord's Prayer, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> um, I guess at the, the starting point is the Bible, really which uh, for a lot of people um, is a problematic thing. Uh, I've got a, a colleague, a friend who um, likes, like me, to preach from the, the Bible readings for the day, and he was told by some of the leaders of the church that he didn't need to do that anymore because they were over the Bible. They'd gone past it. And, um, and he was a little taken aback by that. Uh, but in part, he could understand it. In part because... Well, the Bible gets used to justify all kinds of terrible things, and it has for the last 2,000 years. People use it as a collection of proverbs and sayings that they can justify all kinds of things. And throughout history, it's been used to justify slavery, and those who opposed slavery were said to be uh, opposing God's way. It was used to justify the treatment of women as non-people, second-class citizens, not able to have a role in in life, Um, which you have to work pretty hard with the New Testament to do that, to be honest. You have to kind of treat Paul with a little bit of disdain. Uh, It's been used, and still is today, to have all kinds of terrible attitudes towards gay and lesbian people. And so part of our church family, the Anglicans in Africa and Nigeria and Uganda are using parts of the Bible to recriminalize homosexuality um, with incredibly draconian punishments for those who are found to be gay. Uh, all because that's what God's Word says. And so there are a whole lot of people that say, well, if that's what the Bible's about, then I don't want, to be, I don't want anything to do with that. That's nothing that's helpful for me. So in part I can understand that. And there are times when we hear the scripture readings here, and like I know that there was one week when Jan said, I don't want to read this. Do we really have to read this out loud? And uh, there was another week when um, Hannah Mollison was reading about what a good wife was all about. And she really didn't want to read that, and so I had to kind of say, well, yes, we're going to read it, and then I'll talk about it. So... You know, there are times when we find things in the Bible that just seem so wrong today. and It doesn't seem to have much to say with us. So in part, I can understand 
why those people say that. But that contrasts with the attitude that was implicit in both the psalm and the reading from Nehemiah today. That these words, no matter how difficult, are words of life. And in fact, um, I quote uh, one of the sources that I use when I'm thinking about what to say in these sermons, uh, an Australian called Howard Wallace in my theme, which hopefully I can... Nope, I've got the wrong pew sheet. So, today is going really good. That's good. Uh, so, in it, I, I quote him and I say, All of this is about the life-giving, renewing, releasing, freeing, sight-giving nature of God's word. The joy that it engenders and the joy of wanting to hear it. So, in part, standing for the gospel is about all of that. It's about the life-giving, renewing, releasing, freeing, sight-giving nature of God's Word and the joy that it can engender and the joy of wanting to hear it. Now that phrase, God's Word, is a really interesting one because it's one that is often applied to the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God, which in some ways is true, but in other ways is not true. What do I mean by that? Well, in John's Gospel, John says that Jesus is the Logos, the Word. And the Logos, the Word, is made flesh. So the Word of God is not the Bible, but the Word of God is found in the Bible. Now that's a really kind of interesting little play on words, but I think it's a really really important one. Because sometimes when we treat the Bible as the Word of God, we elevate it to almost divine status. It's inerrant. There's no mistakes in it. Well, you, you kind of have to do something really odd to believe that. I mean, just the Christmas stories, for example. The only thing that the Christmas stories agree on in Matthew and Mark is that there was a Mary and a Joseph, and a Jesus was born in Bethlehem, And they ended up in Nazareth. And everything else we know about the Christmas story is in one or the other. But it's not in both. So in Matthew, there's no stable. She was just gave birth at home. Because they lived in Bethlehem. All these things that we know about the Christmas story, they're in one or the other. But they're not in both. The two stories have a few key bits where they link and the rest of the time they're absolutely different because the authors are trying to tell different stories with different theologies. So, the word of God is Christ, the crucified and resurrected Christ who came amongst us as a person and is revealed to us in the Bible but particularly in the Gospels. So, that brings us to why I stand for the gospel. Because the word is made particularly real in those words. In the gospels, we meet Jesus, the crucified and risen one, who is the word of God. So that doesn't mean the rest of the Bible is not important. The rest of the Bible is really important. But the starting point 
for reading the Bible. The starting point for understanding what's written there is the Gospels for me. Because that's where we meet the Word of God. And the Word of God that we meet in the Gospels then allows me to read and understand the rest of the Scriptures. So what are the Scriptures? The Scriptures for me are people's wrestling with the big questions of life inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's still a human book. The big questions like, who is God? And who are we in God? And what is life? And what is this life all about? And what are we supposed to do as the people of God? And that's at times been a really messy story. And sometimes we might read how they understood that and go, no, I don't know, I can go along with that. But because we understand that it's people wrestling with the big questions, then we can continue to wrestle with them. Because we, like them, haven't got all the answers. We join with that wrestling. But we do it because we have Christ the Word standing with us, leading us. So we stand for the Gospel. Now, some of you know, probably most of you actually, I'm a Franciscan, and Francis brought a particular edge to all of this. He was particularly critical of people who knew lots of the Bible and who were able to preach and teach about it with great authority, but whose lives seemed to not reflect an iota of what Jesus was on about. And if you read his writings, and there aren't a lot of writings because he wasn't big on writing, to be honest. But if you read his writings, and in particular his rules, he understood that what he was doing was living the Gospels. For him, the Bible, but particularly the Gospels, were really important. As part of the rule, he told his brothers that if they found a Gospel book or a a book of the Bibles, which were incredibly expensive things, they were valuable, they were all handwritten in his time, was no printing press, and punched them out at a million a, a year. He punched them out at about one a year. And um, he told them that they had to venerate them and they had to restore them and put them back in a place of prominence. But the Gospels in particular were really important for him. For him, when you met Christ in the Gospels, that was to inspire you to walk in Christ's footsteps. Reading the Gospels wasn't about knowing more about the Bible and being able to preach about it. It was to inspire you to change the way you lived. And so for me, standing for the Gospel is a reminder that as I hear these words, they are to inspire me in how I live. I am one of those who have taken a vow to walk in the footsteps of Francis, who walked in the footsteps of Christ not about ideas, it's about how we live our daily lives. And to be honest, I get that wrong a lot of the time, but that's the inspiration. And some of you may have noticed that I actually cross myself as I begin to read it across my forehead and my mouth and my heart, which is a way of saying, may these words be written in my mind, on my mouth and in my heart, which is another way of saying... Another way of reminding myself that these words are to shape my thoughts. 
And they are to shape the words that come out of my mouth. They are to shape my very being and so my life is based on Christ the Word found in the Gospels. That's why I stand for the Gospel. To remind myself that these words that I hear are the way that I meet the risen Christ and that they are to be the foundation of my life. So why do you stand for the Gospel? I'll let you just think about that for a moment while I find a smaller version of the Bible than that one up there so that I can read it again. A lot of churches, when the gospel is read, it's actually read from the body of the, of the people. So we will do that today. So instead of a creed, I invite you to stand as we again read the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Praise and glory to God. Then Jesus filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he, then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the word. Praise. 